The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit mossing around and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 268 with guest Vishwas Lele, recorded live Tuesday, August 28, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bring world-class .NET and SharePoint training on-site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says a rolling stone gathers no... Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, New London, Connecticut. Richard's here. I'm here. You're here. It's a show. It's the time once again. It's the time of the season for DNR. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, Richard, what's coming up that we're going to that we haven't talked about enough yet? Well, we've talked about it quite a few things, and the fall is still not entirely solid. There's a couple of things left to go, but obviously uh, SDC, the Dutch conference, yep. uh, September 17th and 18th. Yep. Uh, Dev Reach in Dev Bulgaria, Reach. October 1st and 2nd. Dev Reach is, is really getting kicked into gear by Telerik down there. Yeah, they're the guys. They yeah. really get it going on. Yep. And uh, also Dev Connections. Dev Connections. That's the week of uh, November 5th. Now, did you know Dev Connections is like the first place where you can get a copy of Visual Studio 2008? Oh, is that true? Yeah, it's a launch event. Wow, excellent. Yeah. So that's, well, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fabulous. We're going to have a lot of fun there. I'm really looking forward to it. And then I take I off too. right after that. Like yeah. literally as Dev Connections ends, I'm hopping on an airplane, me and Greg Hughes, we're flying to Barcelona for the IT week of TechEd Europe. Yep. It's just almost too much to handle. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get good shows out of that. If you have any suggestions of things you want us to to do or talk about while we're there, by all means, send them to uh, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. And, hey, we're going to have an email alias at .NET Rocks.com here pretty soon. You think maybe after 268 shows we could get that together. But, what a great uh, idea. Hey, so let's get right into Better Know a Framework. Ding, ding. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know either. Well, anyway, uh, today's class is system.console. 
And I know you're thinking, oh, my God, I know all about console.write and console.write line. Yeah, how complicated could this be, Carl? How complicated could this be? But if you take a look at the members of the console class, first of all, the console represents the standard input and output and error streams. Right. So I don't know if you maybe some developers who don't, you know, who aren't old enough to know. Uh, remember standard in and standard out, which is just the way that applications used to talk to each other. Just sort of like a glorified command line and return stream. And uh, that's the way you can talk to all these command line tools that uh, encode MP3 files and all that stuff. We, we use the standard input and output stream um, exclusively in our publisher software. But anyway, besides that, you have... Things like the caps lock property, which gets or gets a value indicating whether caps lock is turned on or off. And, and you have the same thing for number lock. You have a uh, foreground color. You've got uh, uh, the window height and the window top, the window position, you know, the left and, and uh, top and the width. You got the title, which gets or sets the title to display in the title bar. You got uh, all this great cursor visible, gets or sets a value indicating whether the cursor is visible. You get the, of course, you get the error output stream. You get the input stream and the output stream. And those are just standard streams. You get uh, the cursor size, the cursor position with top and left, background color, foreground color. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with the console. And, of course, the console is coming back into uh, favor with developers because of PowerShell. Right. Yeah, PowerShell. That's the uh, script language with the .NET framework built in, or access to the .NET framework. Yeah, super scripting. Super That's what scripting. That is. Absolutely. Scripting in C sharp. Objects that you can access through script. So that's our better know framework class for the day. System console coming to a desktop near you. Right. Yeah. So what you got for us, Richard? I got a quick one for you, and this is from William Randlett, and he said. Carl and Richard, I was listening to the Donald Farmer show this morning on a nine-mile jog. Oh, God bless you, man. Which DNR Plus makes possible. And was blown away by the information on SQL Server's data analysis capabilities. Yeah. Most of the time, I listen to the show to deal with the fact that I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> but this time, I find out that I don't know what I thought I knew. You know? You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I thought that all this analysis stuff was for high-end consultants with cubes and whatnot, but I find out that there are real things I can do with the technology, and that's fantastic. Yeah. I had considered this stuff before, but I didn't pursue it because of my preconceived notions about it. Thanks, you guys, for bringing this kind of info to the ignorant mass as well, to my ignorant mass, anyway. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a DNR TV on this so I can see it in action. P.S. Thanks to my new neural network software I wrote with Analysis Services, I am now $10,000 poorer in horse racing bets. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Real I'm glad. Real stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just glad we, we brought that whole data mining discussion up, all those capabilities, because the funny part is so many people own it and they don't know they do. Yeah. Well, I had never, I had honestly never seen all those different uh, functions in there, algorithms. So, good stuff. I enjoyed it, too. So, of course, Greg Brill is still hiring people in New York City. If you want to do the New York tour for a year, or if you want to go to Boston, uh, they're hiring in Boston, too. And I think they're even hiring in London. But Really? Yeah, but there's a very special offer for people who want to come to New York City and work for a year. They'll put you up in an apartment rent-free for a year. Awesome. And you get to work in Manhattan with some really cool and creative people. And I totally mean that in the in the most sincere way. I mean, we know Greg, and I've been down there and hung out with him. 
great people, great place to work, and they're doing awesome work in the financial field. Uh, if you're interested in that, the whole deal is laid out at shrinkster.com slash KH6. And speaking of shrinkster.com, Richard. Yeah. Uh, Shrinkster went down a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I realized that while we were recording, no less. Right. And apparently uh, GoDaddy, who was hosting the domain, uh, got some complaints because people were using it to send spam, to encode spam uh, URLs and then send those out in emails. And I guess they complained, which, you know, I don't think that's Shrinkster's fault. No. But uh, but I guess they complained They took and, and GoDaddy took it down. So uh, it's back up now, but only to support URLs that are already in the database. And there's a freeze, a moratorium, if you will, on uh, on putting new URLs into it. However, I'm here to tell you that I'm going to take it over. Really? Yes, that's right. I'm going to take over the database, take over the site. It's going to be up. You know, we'll do what we can about spam, but honestly, I don't see that's a problem. Uh, it's not Shrinkster's fault that people are using it to encode, uh, you know, spam because right. they're not well, sending the, Yeah, it's, it's, Shrinkster isn't sending spam to anybody. No. And yeah, people are unfairly blaming Shrinkster because the Shrinkster link happens to be in the spam. Exactly. So we'll do what we can to uh, work around those issues, but uh, I'm here to tell you that we're taking it over. So that's it. Great. Okay, Richard, let's, uh, let's bring in Vishwas. Uh, Vishwas Lele is a friend of ours from the RD program. He's Chief Technology Officer of .NET Technologies at Applied Information Sciences, Incorporated, where he's worked for the last 14 years. In his current role, he's responsible for assisting organizations in envisioning, designing, and implementing enterprise solutions that are based on the .NET technologies. Vishwas also serves as the Microsoft Regional Director for the Washington, D.C. area. As a Microsoft-endorsed expert, he's regularly consulted by clients for his insight and informed perspective on implementing .NET-based solutions. A regular industry speaker and author, he has presented at a number of industry conferences as well as community user groups. And would you please welcome Vishwas Lele. Hi, Vishwas. Hello. Um, thank you for inviting me to the show. Oh, you're always welcome. We uh we spoke about talking uh about having you on the show at like at an RD meeting a few years ago I think and we just never got it together. Right. And you're based in Washington D.C. Uh, I'm kind of low on excuses. You've been around, obviously done this stuff for a long time. Uh, mostly government work. Uh, I've been um, doing a mix of government and and, and commercial work, or I should say, my company is uh, focused on. Um, Commercial as well, federal, and I would say about fifty percent split across these areas. Cool. Now uh, we're talking today a little bit about Moss. Is Moss your uh, Microsoft Office SharePoint server? Is this your your area of expertise lately? Uh, yes. Uh, lately, I've been. Um, it's such a big area, Carl. Uh, to, to be honest, I, I would be leery of calling myself an expert. Uh, every day, there is something new to learn about this product, uh, but. It is something that I've been focusing on for the last uh, 18 months or so, and I've been I'm very interested in, in, in the kinds of capabilities it has to offer. Well, it's timely for me because I've been recording uh, a, a DVD training series with Sahil Malik on SharePoint, and uh, it's blowing my mind. I mean, the amount of... Uh, first of all, SharePoint is one of those things where there's a lot of pointy-clicky stuff you know, that you have to remember. 
pretty much. You can sort of just get the basics and then read through the menus and figure out and intuit most of it. But all of that pointy-clicky stuff is also programmable. So it's extensible like to the nth. And this, I guess, is where the complexity comes in. That That is right. Um, so, so there's a lot of, uh, like you said, uh, end-user-driven functionality, which you can point and click and customize. Uh, and and w- w- what I've been interested in is, is uh, you know, we are, of course, uh, as, as software developers, we, we think of or approach these kinds of things uh, as as a classic life software project, right? You, you, you uh, develop your source code, check your source code into some source control system, and you have a nightly build that takes your bi- code, builds it into binaries, and installs it. And... Uh, that is the kind of thing that can be accomplished, but is is harder to do. And then you need to understand uh, where uh, what piece resides for for that to work correctly. So, so it is indeed a leap from going from customizing a site to making it a repeatable process. Now, you're really interested in that in your white paper is uh, using Moss 2007 as an application development platform. We have a link to that white paper on .nerox.com. And application development platform, that's pretty interesting. I mean, when I think of SharePoint, I think of, you know, that SharePoint look. But I, as I understand, there are SharePoint sites out there that look like really slick, polished websites that you would have no idea that there's SharePoint behind them, but there's so much goo in that stack that uh, that it's too, it's too, um, what am I trying to say? You, you can't ignore it anymore. Uh, th- that is correct. And um, if, you, if you allow me to sort of take your question and, and run with it a sure, little bit. please. Uh, uh, the, the reason I call this paper uh, SharePoint as an application development platform is uh, I, I used to work with SharePoint in 2003 and um, like many de- developers today, and, and and it is a reasonable opinion, certainly, is, you know, I would rather use ASP.NET to build a site, right? Why, why would I want to use SharePoint to, to build a site when I'm more productive in ASP.NET? Right. And it seems like there's a lot of pointing and clicking involved uh, and a lot of out-of-the-box functionality configuration. So why... Uh, why should I, as a professional developer, be interested in this kind of a thing? You know, yeah. I should be I should be leveraging the tools that I know best. And uh, clearly, ASP.NET platform is evolving, and new abstractions are being added to it with every release. So I was of that mindset, uh, and I, I will not say that it is an unreasonable, completely unreasonable mindset because we could have big discussions about it. But I certainly was on. Um, the side of the fence where I thought that SharePoint is a great portal, but I still need ASP.NET. Right. As I started working with SharePoint 2007 and WSS, uh, I and and I started getting deeper with this technology. I realized uh, that uh, first of all, the integration with ASP.NET is much better than it used to be earlier. Right. So in the earlier versions of SharePoint 2003. Uh, if you had a request coming in from the browser and uh, the IIS would figure out uh, whether this request should go to ASP.NET or it should go to WSS, and based on uh, where it belonged, it would send it in two different directions. You know, yeah. And I'm, I'm making some generalizations here, of course. Uh, 
because the pipeline were different, developers who were trying to write applications for WSS had to take that into account. Now, when they were designing WSS 3.0, which is uh, really the basis of MOS, they sat down with the ASP.NET team and, and the ASP.NET mechanisms that we understand, like HTTP modules, uh, HTTP handlers, uh, those are well integrated into WSS and MOS. So you don't have to, as a developer, worry about a completely different paradigm. I'm sorry, did we get a definition of WSS? Uh, Windows SharePoint Services, uh, which is uh, uh, also known as the core workspace services. Uh, and um, and those things are free, aren't they? Right. That, that That's right. Now, Microsoft's done a remarkable job with SharePoint of confusing version numbers, product lines. Because isn't there two totally separate lines of SharePoint, or at least there was? From what I understand, and Vishwas can answer this too, but WSS is the free version of MOS, and it, it's scaled down and you get certain features, but, uh, you know, to really to really do the big stuff, you need MOS, which is uh, Microsoft Office SharePoint Server. Is that right, Vishwas? That, that is that is correct. And, and, and I certainly cannot take credit for this thumb rule. Whoever came up with this seems to work well. Anything that seems to end with services is free, and anything that ends with a server, you have to pay for. Right, uh, okay. So I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I heard this uh, at a code camp, and I'm just, just uh, you know, um, playing it back. But it seems to um, be a good thumb rule to to use when you when you you know walk across these these products. But uh, so if you look at the SharePoint technology stack uh, at the lower most level, of course, above the operating system is the ASP.NET layer, and then on top of the ASP.NET layer is the layer called the WSS, uh, or also known as the Core Workspace Services layer, and and this layer. Uh, provides for things such as security, provides for things such as storage, uh, provides for things such as the topology. This is also a free layer uh, in the sense that if you're trying to do some simple team collaboration, uh, you know, search with a limited scope, you could you could just work off of this layer. SharePoint, Office, Office SharePoint Server or MOS is a layer that is built on top of WS. And that's something you pay for and the value-add services that you get, uh, which are not included in WSS, are things such as enterprise search, things such as uh, uh, enterprise content management, uh, Excel services, uh, and, and, and form services, etc. So you get all of those services with, with the MOS product. And then e- even inside that product, there are different combinations that you can get to. You can just get a, a, a form services queue or you can, uh, you know, there's six or seven variants, and and I, and I always have difficulty remembering them. Yeah. Does Carl does that does that answer your? Yeah, question? no, that that is that does answer my. Yeah, Richard's right. There is there is so much confusion. It has been cleverly obfuscated. But you know, this is Microsoft we're talking about. You know, <laughs> their products are are driven by more than just what would make a good product name. You know, and I've often thought about SharePoint really as hubbed around office i mean the name is microsoft office sharepoint server so isn't this everything is office you know it's all about storing word documents and excel certainly this is part of the office family but it is a server side product uh it is about uh certainly uh, so you have documents you have word documents you have excel spreadsheets uh 
Uh, at the very least, what you can do is you can create a document library and store your documents in there. And then once your document is stored, you have versioning and you have workflow, etc. So office artifacts can certainly be hosted in this environment, but there's much more to it. And uh, when I was trying to answer the earlier question, I was, I was trying to get to this point that uh, unlike the previous version, this version is 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 squarely based on ASP.NET 2.0. So ASP.NET 2.0 mechanisms apply all the way up. So if, if you are um, familiar with the provider model, or if you wanted to write a new type of pre-control and hook it up to the provider, and you've been doing that as an ASP.NET developer, you can leverage that mechanism by putting the provider that you developed and the control that you developed in a master page inside MOS. And, and you, so you can, you're able to take advantage of things that you know, uh, from ASP.NET. Uh, so, so that's, that's a very, to me, that is a very important point that you can continue to leverage your ASP.NET skills. And specifically ASP.NET 2.0. Specifically ASP.NET 2.0. Yeah, so I mean, this is already getting back to your original point here. Of, yeah, you're really good at ASP.NET and wanted, didn't want to learn all this different stuff about SharePoint. Now it seems like SharePoint has come to ASP.NET. They're, they're much closer together now. Right. And, and there, there are two scenarios where, where I think that, uh, you know, it would be worthwhile to look at SharePoint as an application development platform. And, and those yeah. two scenarios are, uh, and I, and I ran into this situation myself with a client here, a financial services company in DC. Uh, we built for them, um, a, a sophisticated ASP.NET 1.1 based portal. And, and many of their multinational clients would log on to this portal and get access to that information, right? So it was working fine. Now, as they started adding more functionality to it, that they realized that they wanted the sites to be more localized. They wanted the sites to be more personalized based on client-specific needs. Mm-hmm. And as we started uh, analyzing these requirements, uh, you know, one approach would be to, uh, you know, build those kinds of personalizations and localization into ASP.NET, uh, uh, which we could have certainly done. The other approach was to start leveraging SharePoint as the medium for implementing some of those capabilities. Well, Vishwas, so far we've, you know, we've said some good reasons for considering SharePoint and Moss specifically as an application development platform. What are we up against here? What somebody who, you know, our team of ASP.NET developers who realize that their time is stretched thin and they need to be more productive, but now there, there's going to be a hit in terms of training. There's going to be a hit in terms of grokking it and being productive with it. What are we really up against in terms of, uh, you know, an investment in time? Because I, I tell you what, I mean, if I sat through these 16 hours with Sahil, and right. if I was just trying to do it myself without this kind of training, I mean, there are certain things where there are brick walls. There are things where you have to edit XML and you have to know what you're doing and, you know, there's some serious, uh, serious th- bonks that could happen just venturing out forth on your own. There, there's no question about that. Uh, there are some serious issues uh, which people need to understand. Uh, and you mentioned uh, probably the, 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 the biggest issue of them all, which is uh, 
for SharePoint to be able to leverage your code, you need to put it in certain places in a certain format. Yeah, you need so, to understand the platform. You need to understand the platform. You need to package it into units that SharePoint can load, etc. So, so that's the number one issue. Uh, and uh, this issue was this problem was further exacerbated by the lack of documentation. And and the documentation is catching up now. Uh, the other problem that that you run into is is SharePoint development can only happen on Windows Server 2003 cannot happen directly in XP, right? So so we've had to create virtual server instances for our developer or, uh, you know, VPC instances, what have you, right. uh, to do that kind of development, which which clearly is an issue. Now, there has been um, a download available called the WSS extensions for Visual Studio, which, which gives you some additional project types and templates to, to make your task easier. But by by no means will I will I will I say this that the development is easy. There is there is a a, a good amount of learning curve to to get uh, productive with this tool set. But but the idea is that uh, there is so much out of the box functionality uh, that if you are able to leverage that out of the box functionality and. One other key thing is, and, and we've been working with a number of clients, and, and uh, you'd be surprised that a large percentage of our business in the last two, three years has been building applications on top of SharePoint. And, and, and many people are obviously interested in that. In working with, with these clients and, and doing requirements analysis with these clients, it's clear that uh, if they are ready to be flexible uh, in their requirements so that... Um, uh, out of the box capability will suffice uh, then it becomes a very productive environment right. uh, to to give you a specific example there is list handling built into sharepoint right so so you can send an email to a list and that list uh, you know that email is parsed and then uh, broken up into several parts and then stored into a document library right but but it follows certain default rules and in our case uh, to begin with, the, the, the client wanted uh, a very specific way of rendering that information. And, and and very quickly, they realized that we were writing custom handlers and we were doing things that were not default functionality. And, and as the prog- project has progressed, they're willing to say, oh, is this close to the out-of-the-box functionality? If yes, uh, we may be able to live with this. So that's right. another key element in a successful SharePoint implementation. Right. You find the customers settling for what comes out of the box just because they don't want to pay for the extra development time. Right. You're getting 80% of the results for free. Getting that additional 20% is going to cost a ton of money. Maybe you can live with the 80%. That, that, that's exactly right. So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates. RAD controls for ASP.NET, RAD controls for WinForms, the first official version of the Telerik reporting tool, and a brand new suite codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of Rad Controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET Ajax will be the future of ASP.NET, Rad Controls Prometheus 
represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForm suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls Easeability, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. But then if you think about all the the features that, that are in that stack, and, and I'm looking at the uh, the first chart in your white paper in it if do you mind if i read some of these oh no please okay so in the collaboration area you have discussions calendars email so that's basically a when you say email is it accessing an existing email server oh i see it says email presence i see i didn't understand that it was two words email presence okay uh project management light offline uh, in the enterprise content management, you have authoring and approval. And I thought the approval stuff was really cool, whereas – and it's, it can be kind of a, a pain, I guess, if you're the administrator and you uh, put in a new web part, let's say, and uh, the web part accesses a database and it requires approval from an administrator, but you're an administrator. So you have to submit it for approval and then go in and approve it. But you're the guy who implemented it. So there's little things like that. But if you think about if, you know, for just that little bonk, you have the idea that business people are setting up lists and features on the, on the website and, uh, and somebody has an approval process around that, which I thought was absolutely very cool. Um, then web, you have a web publishing policy and auditing, uh, rights management retention. And multilingual staging. I mean, can you help me out with some of these features here? I'm not sure I understand what they mean. Okay. So you, you are on um, page five, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you that this is the stack is, uh, this slide is, is, a, is a, you know, is a Microsoft slide. So, so some of these things here, uh, uh, which one did you want me to, to, uh, sure. Uh, How about, uh, uh, rights management? Audit is it auditing rights management? See, there's no periods between these, so there's just a bunch of words. Um, authoring approval, web publishing policy, auditing rights management, retention, multilingual staging. There's no punctuation there, so I'm not sure which. Uh... <laughs> wow, that's a very cool feature, actually. Right. So um, uh, th- there is, um, yeah, you know, the capability where uh, you can do compliance-related stuff, so you can provision a site. Of a certain type, which has certain compliance-related policies associated with it. So, uh, a document comes in, and you want to laminate that document for for reference later. Laminate you want to, to la- laminate, which means uh, t- take a version of the document and uh, store it in a repository in a form that cannot be changed. I see. Right? Ah, that's a, uh, like make it read only. Laminate. Uh, yeah, make it read only. <laughs> I like that. Uh, make it read, make it read on a little bit more than read making read only, because uh, then you also have to worry about uh, turning on the right right auditing, sure, uh, and and then setting the right permissions, etc. Uh, 
so so there is there is a um, a certain style of site which you can provision which will give you these kinds of capabilities mm-hmm. okay and uh you have personalization features so people right. can personalize their own logins there's search features now i thought this was very cool um there's a search engine built into it. And the, I don't know what code stack this is based off of, if it's based off Windows Live Search or or what, but but it is pretty cool. You can you can make um web uh directories and lists and entities and uh content types searchable. Right. Yeah. That's, and that can, is correct. Yeah. That that's correct. Uh, so so the enterprise search piece that comes with Moss uh, has the capabilities that you just described. So you can do search across sites or site collections. Uh, it will search for documents that are stored in these repositories. You can also add external content sources. So you can say, go search this this URL, uh, and it will crawl that and index that information as well. Right. And uh, w- one other interesting aspect of search is that uh, you can, uh, there is a, service in Moss called BDC or a Business Data Connector. So so BDC is a service within Moss uh, that allows you to bring information from an existing line of business system into SharePoint. Now, w- what does that mean? Uh, uh, it means that there are two ways you can get information which is residing outside of SharePoint. Uh, so let's say you have a SAP system um, and, and what you wanted to do was uh, then you create a list, uh, which is, which by the way is the fundamental construct in SharePoint. Uh, everything is list. So if you wanted to create a list, typically the list items uh, are populated based on data that is stored inside SharePoint content database, right? But what if you wanted to create list items based on data that is external to SharePoint? And, and the way to achieve that is the business data connector. And the way business data connector works is you define an XML file uh, where you define the metadata about an external system, and you take that XML file and give it to the BDC service, which uses this information to then go get information from that external system. Now, now two uh, scenarios that, that this is beneficial. So I wanted to create a list of employees and I create a new item in my list and certain columns of that uh, list item, certain columns of that list item, I want to read from my SAP system. And I, I, and I could do that through the BDC connection that I just talked about. The other scenario that BDC enables is you can crawl as part of the search, you can crawl an external system, uh, and and and, and what will happen then is once you've crawled this external system, then you do an enterprise search, it will be part of the information that gets searched. So uh, so let's say I was looking for an employee who has skills in SharePoint uh, development, whatever, and uh, because I've crawled an HR system, uh, I could do a search. So not only would it search the documents in the SharePoint site, it would go out and search uh, this external source of information, this HR system that I just talked about. Right. And you can use any kind of ADO uh, provider for that. You can write your own provider. You can use web services. You can, as you said. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, when, when you define the metadata uh, about an external source, uh, 
The metadata syntax allows you to define the external system in terms of ADO.NET providers or web service endpoints. Yeah. So, so the crawler or the BDC service will use the metadata to go out and collect information from these sources. You know, one thing that I thought was confusing that people getting into SharePoint might find confusing is the term single sign-on. Because when I think about single sign-on, I think about, um, you know, like a Windows Passport, you know, my, my Windows Live ID kind of thing. Right, right. But that's not really what that means, is it? Uh, right. It, it is... Um, it is a service which does credential caching, really. So, so I I want to you know once I log into SharePoint, I I want to be able to seamlessly from my portal go to some external system, and rather than uh, me having to enter those credentials every time, I want to access that external system. I can store those credentials in a credential cache provided by uh, by SharePoint, and then SharePoint will do a lookup retrieve the appropriate credentials and seamlessly log me on to to the site that I'm going to yeah go to yeah so it's a, you you're right it's a bit of a misnomer there it is really a credential cache more than a single sign on system like passport but the effect of course is that you sign on once and that gives the system enough information to get your credentials for any other app inside of the sharepoint space that is correct that's a pretty cool capability. I mean, I, you really, when I think about portal, that's what you're talking about when you think about portal. It's the hub to which all the other apps can ultimately connect to. Is there anything special I have to do to an app to have it work like that? If I have, have an existing ASP.NET app and we bring SharePoint in later, how am I going to integrate that app into SharePoint? Yeah, that's a good question. Th- that, that's an excellent question, Richard. Uh, um, there are multiple ways of, of, of achieving that, right? And... Um, uh, if you don't mind my my rather long answer to this question, I, I want to go through three or four different styles in which you can take an existing application and integrate it into SharePoint. Uh, the, the very simple uh, approach is uh, you you create a web part, right? And and web part is a, a, a small window on on the page uh, on a SharePoint page, uh, and what you can do is you can try to surface uh, the information. And that your app is trying to present through this web part window, if you will, right? Uh, that's certainly an approach. Now, there are downsides to this approach that you only have a small window. Um, of course, you can change the dimensions of that window, but the fact is that you are inside that that window of within a page, right? right? And what if you want to do multiple pages, et cetera? Uh, the other problem, of course, is that um, uh, you can't just use a server server uh, user control to, to write a web part. Now, certainly there are tools out there uh, like the smart part, et cetera, which will allow you to write a user control and then render it as a web part. But fundamentally, there is no uh, UI designer for what is being rendered as part of a web part. Right. So, so that's one approach. Uh, the other approach is that there is a, a special sacrosanct uh, directory uh, within SharePoint, call underscore layout directory, you could take your ASP.NET application and host it inside that underscore layout directory. And and for, for most parts, that underscore layout directory works like any other virtual directory, uh, with the with the benefit that it it understands the SharePoint context. So when you're running that when you're running your ASP.NET code inside underscore layout. 
it understands the context. Uh, certainly a um, uh, good way to, to integrate your existing application. The only downside of the layout directory uh, that I can think of, and there may be others, is you cannot control who has access to that directory. So uh, l let me um, let me provide an, an example that will bring out this limitation. I have provisioned two sites uh, on my portal. One site is for company A, the other site is for company B. And uh, I only want to give members of company A site access to my application. And I don't want to give uh, you know, members from company B access to this application because they have not paid the high subscription rate to log on to my portal, etc. Right? Uh, it, it's very hard to secure it because uh, you don't have a site context when you put things inside the underscore layout directory. So the third approach that you can use, uh, which which I have used uh, on projects, is is uh, uh, take your ASPX page. And, and you know break it up into controls, uh, which which is typically the case. And I create a content page, not a page in underscore layout, but I create a content page. Uh, by definition, your content page cannot have code behind uh, because you know the content page is stored inside the SharePoint database. So what we do is we we break up the page into controls and only the control definition is on the content page. The code behind for that resides in the bin directory or GAC or what have you. And, and this allows us to, to make our application uh, part of a site collection, really. And, and then once it's part of a site collection or a site, we are able to control access uh, uh, in a more granular manner than than what was available with the underscore layout directory approach. Uh, Vishwas, yes. you've talked to a lot of developers about SharePoint, have you? Yes. I'm curious to know if you're seeing a trend. Um, well, of of course, there's a trend in technology, but I'm wondering how it's being uh, accepted. Um, which is, it seems to me that developers on on systems that are high level like this tend to get away from writing code and more into, you know, managing a big system either through pointing and clicking or XML files or, you know, something like that. And there's ab absolutely less code being written. And I don't know about you, but I got into this business because I love to write code. So uh, do you see like pushback from developers, especially like in companies when you go in and do some consulting and they're, they're looking at it, you know, they... Do you see? You know what I'm saying? So it's a valid question, and 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 I, and I see, and I, and I have run into these situations. So I've presented on this topic at number of code, uh, you know, the user groups. We ourselves have a, um, a good pool of developers in our company, and and then some developers like it, others don't, and and we've, ha we've been having these discussions. Uh, the the way I would I would I would respond to that is. Uh, uh, I, I, earlier in this in this session, I, I was talking about one or two key scenarios where uh, it, it makes sense uh, to 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 look at SharePoint as an application development platform. And, and one scenario that I mentioned earlier was you have one ASP.NET website. Now, what you want to do is uh, each client of your of yours who's coming to that site wants a personal 
site, they want to only see certain things on that site and nothing else, right? Certainly, you can do that through code, but there is that lot of plumbing that you have to write yourself. So with SharePoint, you can create uh, what is known as a, um, a solution template and create a blueprint. And essentially, you have all of these virtual sites that that are pointing to this common blueprint. I understand that. I understand that. But I mean, what's the reaction of developers? Do they do they generally like having to write less code, or do you find do you find that there's pushback because uh, all of a sudden my job is you know t- changed from writing code to uh, you know managing a, a website? Uh, my sense is, and, and having worked on on these projects uh, where where there's a uh, you know, fairly large SharePoint implementations. My sense is that there is, um, this perception is wrong that you're not writing any code, you're deploying stuff only. Right. I think that perception is incorrect. Uh, you, you are writing less code than, than a classic ASP.NET application, of course. Sure. But, but you are still writing code. Sure. You just, the code you're writing does more per line than, uh, yeah. Exactly. So, um, with this model, the, um, to a certain extent, uh, the end users are empowered to do certain things which would have to be done by developers in the earlier model. So if an ASP.NET site needs to change slightly, some developer has to go make that code change, check that in. Uh, of course, you can data drive the site, etc. But But some developer needs to be involved in in, in, in in taking some certain action for that change to surface on the website. Right. Versus versus here, uh, you are worried about some core capabilities, and you the way you structure the site, and then a lot of end user functionality can then be you know taken care of. Yeah, that's the kind of code we don't like to write. The code to fix bugs, right? To 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 make little changes that uh, right. that aren't a challenge, right? That's the kind of code that we don't like. <laughs> uh, let me um, give you another example, Carl. I, I, I wrote another paper in the August issue of MSDN Magazine on Excel services. Uh, may, maybe this example will, will, will help um, convey my point. We were writing these calculation engines. We, we used to get um, um, 20, 30-page algorithms and then convert them into uh, C-sharp or VB.net code on a project. right? And, and, and then certainly it was uh, .NET development, uh, but that development became very repetitive because uh, you know you had to read a Word document essentially, take take the algorithm and convert it into code. So you take the pseudo code in Word and convert it into real code, and and we were looking for ways to optimize that process, and 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 what we essentially did there was uh, we used Excel services. So rather than writing the pseudo code. Uh, business users can actually write those or develop those pseudocode or implement that pseudocode through Excel services formulas, mm. right? Uh, now, now you would argue that, uh, you know, well, by doing this, developers have less work to do. But I, I, would, I would also argue back that the kind of work that developers were doing was becoming quite repetitive. And yeah. once you have solved this problem, you have other bigger things to worry about, more interesting things to move on. Yeah, I agree. By the way, you're preaching to the choir. I'm I'm not taking this point of view. I, oh I, no, 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 absolutely. I'm wondering if I'm wondering how much you you find it. And I find quite I find quite a lot of it. And uh, of course, this this is this is a show where where you know this is a radio show. Of course, 
there is a lot of code involved. I mean, you, you have to worry about all the API. There's a, there's a rich object model that you have to understand. Uh, you, you still have to worry about how you will deploy your code. You have to worry about your your deployment strategy. Uh, you know, if, if you make a change to the blueprint, how is it impacting all the existing provision sites? So all of those things, uh, including calling web services from your site, there is a fair amount of code involved, but you have to be very careful about what kind of code you write and uh, how do you write it uh, in a manner that is uh, that's consistent with with the framework that is already in place. Well, I think and you nailed it when you said, you know, what, what, and we got to this, what kind of code do you want to write? You want to write code where you're actually doing something and, and implementing a new feature or, or, you know, making something happen? Or do you want to write code where you're, you know, fixing a plumbing bug, that's probably the worst. And even even more mundane is, you know, Bob wants this uh, widget on his desktop. Can you go add it? You know, it's like, oh, my jeez. You know, can't Bob do it himself? Well, that's what I'm thinking is we're starting to push some of this down to the users. You want to change the way that thing looks, do it yourself. That's it. And, that, you know, and that's the kind of code we don't like to write. Th- th- that's exactly right. And in fact, it's very funny you mentioned this. Uh, when we started on this project, we, you know, we, we deal with a lot of business analysts and, 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 you know, stakeholders who are constantly saying, you know, the site should look like this. Have you, have you thought of this? Can you change the look and feel? And, and, and what we did at the beginning of the project is we, we got all of our users, uh, uh, these SharePoint functionality books, right? Uh, not developer books on SharePoint, but, you know, just, books that cover out-of-the-box functionality. And I guarantee you, those people read those books, and um, they are better in terms of end-user functionality. I mean, they could do things with custom views that, that, that I will not be able to do because, you know, they are focused on reading that book and then just uh, uh, figuring out the way to, way to get a certain look and feel. Uh, then you, you and I are focused on the back-end stuff or the code stuff. So, so that, that's an interesting observation there as well. What about workflow? I know that workflow is tied into uh, SharePoint. I also know it can be quite a challenge. And um, uh, tell me about how that works. All right. So um, uh, Windows Workflow Foundation um, framework for building workflow-enabled programs. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you, you need a host. So once you develop a workflow using um, workflow activities, you need to deploy it to a host. Uh, and that host can be a Windows service or it could be any other custom host of your choice. Uh, SharePoint team uh, um, wrote the code and the plumbing so that SharePoint becomes a host for Windows workflow programs. Right? And in fact, they, they went beyond that they created five out-of-the-box workflows, uh, things such as approval, things such as uh, disposition. They built these five or six workflows into the product itself. Uh, so uh, they they wrote the workflow logic and installed it inside SharePoint, and the SharePoint acts as a workflow host. And what it means is you can go into a document inside SharePoint and say, I want to link this document to an approval workflow process. And by the way, I want these three people to be approvers of this document right. before it gets routed to wherever it needs to go. Right? And, 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 and you get a form where you specify the approvers, 
And then, you know, uh, from that point, the workflow gets kicked off and, and, you know, these people get emails and task lists, et cetera. As developers, we are not restricted to those five workflows, obviously. You can open up Visual Studio, create a workflow of your choice. Let's say you did not like uh, the approval out-of-the-box implementation and you wanted a different escalation model, perhaps. Or you could modify the existing ones, right? You could modify the existing ones, but only within the confines of what has been programmed. So you can modify it. Uh, uh, let's say I assigned it to John and, and, and John is not looking at his requests. I can go in and modify it and assign it to Jack. Okay, so but I couldn't, mod- add, I couldn't add a new branch to that workflow. I, I couldn't add a new branch or I couldn't add a looping, let's say, that, you know, after it goes to John, I need to make sure it go, goes back to Jack, et cetera. I can't, okay. I, I can't add custom logic to it. And that's where custom workflows come into, this, into the mix. Right. I can develop that in, in Visual Studio, and then uh, I package it up as a feature, and then I, then I deploy it within SharePoint. Uh, so uh, when you go into a document library and you say, go to Workflows, you can actually take advantage of one of the custom workflows that you've developed and installed inside SharePoint. Does InfoPath play a role in this at all? Absolutely. Uh, InfoPath um, plays a big role in the workflow. Uh, InfoPath, I should say, is the preferred way of soliciting information from the user. And it's a a forms tool, right? Part of Office. It it is a forms tool. So so the big idea with with, uh, Moss uh, with respect to InfoPath is that Earlier versions of InfoPath required a client-side installation for the user to access the form, to fill out the form, etc. cetera. Uh, with, with Moss and InfoPath 2007, uh, the form can be rendered inside the browser, which means you don't have to have special bits on the client side. Yeah, that's, that's a big feature. That, that's a big feature, much like Excel services. But I look at the whole InfoPath implementation as non-developer related, that this is stuff that the biz guys can do, build a form, hook it up, uh, plug it into SharePoint, and off it goes. They don't need anything else. That's true. Right, right. So then from a developer's point of view, is there a contribution for us to make in there? Can we build a custom workflow that works with InfoPath? Absolutely. And just to be clear here, I don't have to use InfoPath to work with the workflows in SharePoint. That is exactly right. I can use whatever forms technology I wish, right? The only requirement is that once I collect the information from the user, I need to be able to package this information and give it to SharePoint so that that information is then routed to the appropriate workflow instance. Right. That could be an InfoPath document. It could be a Word document. It could be an email. It could be anything. Or it could be an ASPX page. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, InfoPath is, is commonly mentioned in all the samples and the documentation is because it's just perhaps the easiest way to get there. But certainly not the only way to get there. Well, and, it, and it, so much of SharePoint to me seems to be aimed at the non-developer. So I'm very focused on where is my developer going to step in here? What parts do I want to work on as a developer, and, and what make what can I make changes to? Is your question is your question specifically about workflow or or SharePoint in general? Well, I, th- I think the statement is about we were on workflow, but the statement is about SharePoint in general. There's there's huge tracks of SharePoint here right. that are really designed uh, for the non-developer, so that they can do an awful lot of stuff that we used to write code for. 
Right. But, but you are still required to. And, and you know, if, if you talk to the OBA folks, and I don't know if you've... Uh, OBA? Uh, OBA is Office Business Application. Okay. Right. And in, in um, the Architect Journal, version 10 of Architect Journal has an article from, from a gentleman by the name Atano. Uh, Ratano, I'm not, I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. Uh, he, he talks about building composite application. And, and he, he talks about how you can take all these uh, software assets and then plug them into uh, a container such as SharePoint. Right. So, so to, to get back to, to your, your statement, right. Infopath is something that is given to you. So you, some, a non, non developer could, could create that form. But, but think of all the glue code, right? I'm writing a custom workflow. So I, I'm opening up Visual Studio and I am, I'm, you know, defining my custom workflow. That, that's certainly a developer task. Workflow is nothing but a collection of activities stitched together. And Microsoft gives you some basic set of activities, right? Typically, you have to write your own custom activities to match your domain, right? That is clearly, uh, a developer activity. So, so the, the reason I invoked OBA and, uh, Atno's article is you are, you're not just writing this entire system. You are just writing these, these assets, whether they are workflow, logic, whether they're activities, uh, whether they are custom event handlers, which are which are code blocks that get executed when something interesting happens to a list, you write you're writing these code assets and then plugging them in, and and uh, and and by plugging them in, you're taking advantage of out of the box capability, uh, and bringing your own code at the same time. So the way I look at it, Richard, is that there what Vishwas is talking about here is the stuff that the developer does really as an administrator of SharePoint. Of a, of a SharePoint uh, web collection, I think it's called, right? So as you you do a lot of that stuff on the back end, and then you publish the page, but there is still a lot of stuff that the user can do on their page, like adding web parts. They can add and remove and connect web parts, and they can do all this stuff that that res, you know is stuff a programmer would have to do before. But it's more designed to what data do they want to see? Where do they want to get it from? You know, it doesn't have any of that goo. It's your job to write the web part. Right. And it's your job to go to the to, to put in the database connection information because you're hiding it from them. So it really separates the job in between, you know, these two things. And, and the stuff that he's talking about with the workflows and the custom handlers and all of that stuff, that happens on the back end. But you still you're still giving an incredible amount of flexibility and configurability to the to the end user. That, 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 that's correct. I, I wanted to ask you about um, BizTalk because, you know, BizTalk was all the rage last year, and, and it seems like SharePoint has supplanted BizTalk in terms of buzzword ability. Because I guess, like, uh, SharePoint, I think, is one of the fastest-selling Microsoft products of all time. And, and now that we've got workflow in SharePoint, I mean, there's a whole bunch of projects that might have started in BizTalk that ended up in SharePoint, don't you think? Uh, well, it is a different style of workflow. So, uh, workflow that is hosted inside SharePoint is typically uh, something that that is referred to as human human to system workflow, right? So, um, I, I assign your task, and um, you it appears on your task list. You go about 
that task, whether it is approving something or finishing an application, what have you, you go back and update the status of the task and then workflow moves along. But it is really the interaction between a human being and a system. That's the kind of workflow that we are talking about inside SharePoint. Whereas BizTalk is system to system. Uh, BizTalk is system to system, really, because you know BizTalk has about 120 adapters to talk to all kinds of systems. Uh, so, so there is a difference between the two. Uh, you are human workflow, of course. Uh, you know, you, you're talking about higher latency uh, system to system workflow. Could I see? Typically, uh, you 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 the you know the throughput is much higher, etc. So, so there is a there is a stylistic difference yep. between these two workflows. And uh, Microsoft has has announced that uh, next version of this talk or V next of this talk will take advantage of Windows Workflow Foundation. Uh, so, so these technologies are certainly coming together, but there is there is different target audience for these two products. And I suppose that you could. There's no reason why your workflow in SharePoint couldn't talk to a to a BizTalk workflow. Isn't that true? I mean, there's no reason why it couldn't. That, that is true. Um, so, so you could write a workflow inside SharePoint, and then um, have it talk to an external system, and that external system could be BizTalk. Uh, I should add that there is already, um, um, you know, some there are some linkages built into uh, or linkages between these products, uh, if I should put it. Uh, for example, there is you can install a SharePoint adapter inside this talk, uh, which means if you receive a document from a partner company into this talk, it can then be routed into a SharePoint document library. So, so there's already some level of integration between these products. And probably you you'll see more of that in, in future release. Once they're sharing a common workflow engine, I can see it being pretty seamless to hop work back and forth between them. Right, right. Uh, although you know, one other thing I should add here that uh, the workflow host inside SharePoint, as it stands currently, is designed for uh, document routing or document-based workflows. So your workflow instance is tied to a single document instance. Uh, the host itself is not very open, uh, and that's for a reason. They wanted to use workflow inside SharePoint for certain classes of applications. Right. And 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 what I mean by the host not being open is uh, in Windows Workflow Foundation, uh, you have this concept of writing additional services and then injecting those services into a workflow host, uh, if you are trying to write custom services and inject them into a host, then SharePoint is not the place to be. Okay. Yeah, different different goals entirely. Different different goals entirely, right. Well, what haven't we talked about? I mean, we, what haven't we talked about? We haven't talked about a lot of stuff. I mean, this is just such a vast topic. Um, and what I hope that uh, that we've done here is just fleshed out a few of the reasons for thinking about moving to SharePoint uh, if you haven't already, and some of the things that it can do and some of the gotchas, if there was like one piece of advice you could give uh, an ASP.NET developer who has a little bit of influence with the boss to to get them thinking about SharePoint, uh, what would that be? Uh, I would um, urge them to, to understand uh, the SharePoint architecture, the way uh, ASP.NET pipeline is integrated into SharePoint. Try to understand uh, you know how, how SharePoint works 
and 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 develop a small prototype or a small application to to get a better sense for the development platform and then not be uh, you know uh, prejudiced against the platform and then you know try it for themselves and see um, if it makes sense in their context or not. Very good, Vishwas. Is there anything uh, you want to say at the last minute here before we hang before we uh, hang it up? Uh, no, Carl. It has been um, um, a fun conversation. Uh, there are many things that I would like to add, but uh, like you said, it is really a big topic. Okay, and you can find more information in the white paper and at the SharePoint sites, uh, the links to which we've all put on the website. Vishwas, thank you very much for spending this hour with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 